0: sermon series on prayer we're calling Oxygen or Oxygen Mask, and I hope you remember the distinction is that prayer should be more than just an oxygen mask. When you fly and I fly, there's a safety demonstration, and the person giving that demonstration with the airline says that if the cabin pressure falls below what it should be, that these oxygen masks will automatically drop by the passengers and They were given instructions how to put them over our nose and mouth. And then once we have our masks in place, we are to assist others around us who may need assistance. You know how it goes. We are saying in this series that some believers uh, view prayer like this oxygen mask. Nice that it's there. Hopefully you won't need to use it. But if there's a big emergency, then I will pray. If things are really grim and I'm scared, I will pray. What we're saying is that the Bible teaches that prayer is not merely an oxygen mask for crisis. People prayed in crisis in God's word. Of course, the psalmist is a prime example. It's not wrong to pray when in crisis, but it's wrong to pray when in crisis if you don't think or bother to pray when you're not in a crisis. And so the question becomes for the man in the pulpit and for you in the pew, is prayer to us oxygen mask, Or is it oxygen? And if it is oxygen, we're told to pray without ceasing. Would that not compare to breathing? I mean, how often have you breathed today? How often have you breathed the day before? We're constantly breathing. And our prayer reliance upon the Lord should be a constant prayer reliance. With our eyes open in the course of a day, when things are going well, when things are going average, when things are going very poorly, we should be people of prayer. And so we saw last time that a proper knowledge of God helps us to have a proper prayer life. And if you didn't hear that sermon, I encourage you to go to the webpage of the church. It'll be up sometime soon. And listen to the proper knowledge of God and prayer. That's the foundation to this series. Today we come to the opposite of God. We come to Satan. And we come to the fact that this big idea of this particular sermon is that a proper knowledge of Satan promotes a proper prayer life. If you don't know what he's up to, you're not going to be in the right position to trust God for relief, protection, deliverance, and all of those things. And so when we look at the subject of Satan in the um, Old and the New Testaments, we see basically that our enemy um, is characterized in three main names or categories. He is called the liar. That is versus our Lord. He is called the accuser. That is versus our advocate. He is called the destroyer versus our defense in Christ. And so Martin Luther penned that famous hymn, and still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. He seeks to work us woe through lies, through accusations, and through destruction. Before we get very far into this message on a proper knowledge of Satan prompting a proper prayer life, we need to see a few things together In God's word. First, we need to see Satan is defeated. Satan is defeated. Listen to 1 John 3 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus Christ appeared in the flesh the first Christmas to destroy the works of the devil, and he did. He won victory over Satan, death, and hell on the cross of Calvary. So Satan is a defeated foe. Uh, Hebrews 2.14 also says this, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same, that, result, that through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Satan is a defeated foe. It's like a bank robber where a bank bank robbery went bad. A bank robber who gets into the Commonwealth Bank with a gun. Problem is, before he can run away with the money from the bank, the SWAT team of the Royal Bahamian Police Force surrounds the Commonwealth Bank. They have it totally surrounded. The robber cannot get out of the bank without facing them. Pretty soon, when he understands that, he realizes that he may have a bag of money in his hand, but it'll be temporary. He's only going to get out of that bank in one of two ways, with his hands up in surrender or in a body bag. Satan's like that. He is a bank robber on a bank robbery that's gone bad. He knows that he cannot win over Jesus, he knows that he cannot avoid the lake of fire, but he's in that bank temporarily holding the bag of money and temporarily holding the the customers and the tellers who were in the bank when he busted in, holding them hostage. Satan holds a lot of people hostage. But he's defeated. He's like a bank robbery gone bad with the bank robber surrounded The second thing about Satan is that the same power that defeated Satan is in you as a believer. The very same power that defeated Satan resides in you if you are in Christ. 1 John 4 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because, watch, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead to bodily resurrection is the same power that lives in little old you. He's defeated. And the same power that defeated him lives in the believers. Third, he is on a tether. I wish a lot more dogs in my neighborhood were on a tether. When I take our dog, who's a timid 70 pound standard poodle, for a walk, I have him on a tether. But all these guys that have these yard dogs don't have them on tethers. You notice that? And they come barreling out of their driveway or their front yard ready to eat. Another dog, another dog's owner. Satan is not like the yard dogs in my neighborhood. Satan is tethered. God has tethered Satan. And Satan only has so much Leeway, the tether that God allows him to have. Satan can do no more than Satan al- or that Jesus allows. Doubt that? Job 1: eight to 12. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. God turns to Satan and says, Exhibit A of faithful trust in me, of worship to me, is Job. You considered him? It's interesting that Satan had considered him. And then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. God says to Satan, you consider Job? Satan says, yeah, I've considered Job. Have you considered that he will only praise you if good things are in his life? And if you don't keep the good things in his life, have you ever thought that he'll curse you, God? That's what I think will happen, God. The passage goes on. Behold, all that he has is in your power. God says to Satan, okay, we'll have an experiment. All that he has is in your power. That's the tether. Only do not put forth your hand on him. You can't kill him. You're on a tether. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. So we are seeing first, Satan is defeated. Second, the power that defeated Satan is in believers. Third, Satan is on a tether. Reminds me of a little boy who went to the zoo with his daddy. And at the zoo, there was a caged lion. The lion was growling. The, The lion was hungry, and the little boy was terrified. Why? Because all the little boy could see was the lion. The daddy wasn't terrified. Do you know why? Because all the daddy could see was the cage. Satan is tethered. We go on. We have a part to play in living in victory over Satan. Yes, Jesus won the victory over Satan on the cross, but now we who believe in Christ, follow Christ, serve Christ, we have a part to play in walking out the victory that's already been won by Christ. We have some responsibilities, such as we must be aware of Satan. Not that he's under every rock of disappointment or challenge or hardship. Be aware of him, though, that when he is active, he's active. 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. We define the world as the system The world is a system of thinking and and working and achieving that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of everything. So the world involves theater. It involves uh, motion pictures. It involves academia. It involves uh, medicine. It involves uh, law. It involves all kinds of things, things that will gladly say, I'm leaving Jesus Christ out of everything. That's the world system. And this verse says that the world system is characterized by three levels of temptation. Satan is not very creative. The same three levels of temptation he gave to Eve in Eden are the three same categories of temptation he gives to you and to me. And listen is what the categories are. 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. And so we are to be aware that we live in a world system that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of dating, cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of marriage, cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of death, cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ even out of some churches. There are some Christian churches that aren't Christian. And so we are to be aware of Satan Yesterday, we went to the ATM, Beth and I, and we got our money. I did, and I got back in the car, and I happened to notice a car did not move until we moved. And then I noticed the car followed us off of PI into Nassau. And I was aware. I was just watching my rearview mirror to see what that car was going to do. Followed us down Shirley Street, followed us on Eastern Road. I'm aware. But it's not just an awareness of Satan that we are to have. Secondly, we are to be alert to him. I was being alert to that car that was following us. I was aware of it, and I was alert to it. So I didn't go home. I just went into our neighborhood and didn't pull in the driveway. When the car stopped following me, I went home. We must be aware of Satan, we must be alert to him, we must give no place to him. Ephesians uh, four verse twenty seven. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Of course the context here of Ephesians four twenty seven is anger. Don't let the sun set on your anger. You do realize that even righteous indignation anger has a shelf life of sundown. That before sundown, the day you feel anger, even if it's righteous anger, you have to settle that in your heart because it'll putrefy if you don't. It'll give the devil an opportunity. And so we're not to give him any place, any opportunity. We all have flesh, and we all have the Spirit of God living in us if we're Christians. And what Satan does, he can't tempt our regenerate spirits, but Satan tempts our soul and our body, our flesh. And your soul and your body has a certain kind of Velcro on it. And Satan will send you temptations to your flesh with the matching Velcro. And your Velcro may not be my Velcro. But Satan knows each of our velcro patterns and he sends to us temptations to our flesh that hook into the velcro of our particular unique hearts. And so we are not to give him any advantage in light of that. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2:11, so that no advantage will be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. We know his velcro. We know what triggers sin. In our lives, we give him no advantage. But it's not just that. We're to be aware of him, be alert to him, give no place to him, give no advantage to him. But we're to flee from him. Here's a verse reference you can remember. 2 Timothy 2 verse 22. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22 what does it say now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness faith love and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart we are to run away from the devil we are to uh, flee from him if you have a friend who's into pornography don't spend time with that friend. If you have a friend who's a gossip, get another friend. You have a friend who's a flirt, hang out with somebody else. You have a person whose life is characterized by grumbling from the, day, the moment they awaken a day till they go to sleep at night, walk. You have a shopping addiction, Stay away from your favorite store. You have a problem and a friend that's flippant. They just take the things of God so unseriously and casually. Converse with other people. You have a friend who's characterized by greed. Enough is never enough. Hang with someone else. You have a friend who's slothful, lazy, can work, but won't, won't work. Head the opposite direction. Flee from Satan, 2 Timothy 2.22. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. But there's more. Not only be aware of him, be alert to him, give no place to him, give no advantage to him, flee from him, uh, resist him. Make every thought captive to Christ. Every thought captive to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not Of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If you have a job, then your employer has every right to take captive your time. You are not to be doing your business on his time. You are to work an honest day for an honest dollar. And if your boss happens to phone you and say, "We need you for a Saturday to work some overtime," wise are you if you say yes?" In the same way, we are to make every thought in our heads captive to Christ. Picture what's between your two ears like a garden plot. What happens if we don't bring every thought captive to Christ is that weed thoughts start in our garden in our mind. And if we don't take every thought captive long enough, then we've got a garden plot full of weeds that are reproducing, that are going to seed, that are producing more weeds. And then we've got a big problem. If, on the other hand, we are diligently, prayerfully, sincerely trying to bring every thought captive to Christ, and every time a weed thought comes into our minds, just pops into our head, we had no idea where it came from, pop, pull it. Bring every thought captive to Christ. There's more. Pray for strength. Luke 22, 31 and 32 Jesus speaking, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission, there's the tether, to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. The issue here is that we pray for strength when we lack it, Knowing Jesus prays for our strength when we lack it. And when we are strengthened by heaven, we can be used of God to strengthen other believers. And so to review our part to play, our responsibility in the course of living out the victory against Satan that Jesus Christ has already won, be aware of Satan, be alert to him, give no place to him, give no advantage to him, flee from him, resist him, make every thought you have captive to Christ, pray for strength, and put on the full armor of God. We're going to discuss the full armor of God a little later in this message. And so... As we continue in what the Bible has to say about Satan, because remember, a proper knowledge of Satan will help us to have a proper prayer life. That's why we're doing this study. Now, the Bible's names and titles for Satan tell us an awful lot about him. In the Bible, he's called Satan, which means adversary. That means he's our enemy, not our annoyance. Satan is not your annoyance, he's your enemy. Second, he's called devil. That means slanderer. He is not silent about you. He spouts off and says bad things about you in your head. Number three, he's called the evil one. Satan is evil personified. Four, he's called the tempter. The tempter is wanting you to fall. The tempter is wanting you to fail. The tempter is wanting you to be disqualified. He's also called the prince of this world. I defined the world system earlier. He is the prince of this whole system that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of everything. He's the prince of this world. And then he's called the God of this age. First thing to say is God with a little g, not a capital G. He's the little g God of this age. What age? The church age. It started on the day of Pentecost. That ends at the day of the rapture of the church and then extends seven years into the tribulation. In that age, and only in that age, Satan is the little g God. That means that his rule is time limited. Time limited to the church age beginning on the day of Pentecost and time limited to the end of the tribulation, which is the second coming return of Christ. That's the only window in which Satan is a little g-god. And so we operate right now in the church age, of course. I believe the end of the church age, the rapture of the church, could be near. But we live in the church age. So at this time, when Satan is the little g-god of this age, he'll come and tell you about your past. Because he knows it. He'll tell you about your past. You know what? You should tell him about his future. And so he's called Satan adversary, devil slanderer, evil one tempter, prince of this world, God of this age, prince of the power of the air. He is the commanding general of the organized ranks of demons, fallen angels. He's an accuser of the brethren. Satan accuses Christians relentlessly. I love a quote I came by by Ricardo Sanchez. The devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but calls you by your name. Satan is an accuser of the brethren. He's a murderer. He loves to kill. He kills us physically. He kills us emotionally and mentally. He kills us spiritually. He wants to kill the joy we have in Christ, the encouragement we have in Christ. He wants to kill our prayer life. He wants to kill our thanksgiving. He wants to kill our praise. And he wants to kill a clear conscience. He's a murderer. He plays for keeps. But he's defeated. He's a bank robber temporarily holding the bag of money in the bank and temporarily confining the tellers and the customers. But he knows he doesn't get out of the bank except with his arms up like this or in a body bag. Satan is also a liar. When I was a young man in my teens, which is a while ago, I worked in a retail sporting goods store. And back then, there weren't barcodes, there weren't scanners, none of that. There were sticky price tags that were on the goods. And what thieves would do when they weren't being noticed is take the price tag off something and change it to another price. They would put a too low a price on an item, and then they would buy the item. Satan does that with sin. There is a price tag, you are aware, on every sin, adultery, adultery sweethearting, theft, rape. There is a price tag on every sin. Satan changes the price tag with a lower price so you think you can afford it. He's a liar. And Satan works with impressions, illusions. I have nothing against uh, Royal Caribbean Cruise Line, but I heard an interesting thing. They now sell interior staterooms with virtual balcony views. That means you buy an inside stateroom that doesn't have a window to save its life. And they project a view as if you had a balcony. And they charge you more for the inside stateroom because it has a virtual balcony. That's how Satan is. He says, I'm going to paint this sin and project it on the wall of your sight and your thinking, and you will think you have peace. You will think you have fulfillment. You will think you have social status. You will think you have self-esteem with what I'm just going to project on the screen of your interior stateroom. That's what Satan does. He's a liar. Now, you don't have to lie whole hog to fool people. Satan loves half-truths, but you know what? He doesn't just use half-truths, he uses quarter-truths. He even uses one-eighth lies. Any moniker, any amount of truth that will be good enough for you to accept is what he uses. That's how fishermen get fish. <laughs> you get fish because you throw something over the board from the boat that looks like food, but it's a lie. It has hooks in it. And the deceived fish thinks it's getting lunch instead it's becoming lunch. That's how Satan works. He's a liar. And so because that is so, whereas there is a place for emergency oxygen mask prayer, the common, usual, typical kind of praying that we all should do is oxygen kind of praying. Prayer. To be proper, we have to have some knowledge of who our enemy is. Now, I think we all would admit that we have a crime problem in Nassau. And we are concerned about it. We may even pray about it. But I'll tell you, that's one thing. But you, want, you know what's a different thing? <laughs> Is if you go for a glass of milk in the middle of the night and you have an armed robber in your kitchen. That's different. Oxygen mass prayer, and we should pray for safety of Nassuvians police to be successful in catching bad guys, the courts to be consistent with the law. We should pray for all that. But we should also realize sometimes there's a burglar in our kitchen at night. Some of you are familiar with the name Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias is one of the most famous and most effective defenders of the Christian faith today. Recently, I heard Ravi say that he was away from home speaking 270 days last year. He's in high demand. He's brilliant. He's well-read. He's graduated from some of the finest universities in the world. He's written all kinds of books, and I recommend them to you. But what you may not know about Ravi Zacharias is that he was born in India into a Hindu family. His family was of a favored high caste, and his father held a high-ranking government job. But with all that advantage in India, young Ravi tried to kill himself when he was 17 years old at the university. He drank some chemicals which he'd stolen from the university, and those chemicals would have killed him except a male servant in his house at the time broke down the bathroom door and got Ravi to the hospital in time. As he was recovering, a despondent, suicidal Hindu, he found a Bible, and he began to read it. He began to pray for guidance. He had an oxygen prayer. Constantly, he prayed to God, the God of the Bible, not one of the 330 million Idol gods in Hinduism. 330 million. And young Ravi Zacharias eventually placed his faith in Jesus Christ, and God in mercy made him new, filling his empty life that was so characterized by despair. Surely Satan wanted to kill a young Ravi Zacharias. Because Satan is murderer, and if Satan could have killed Ravi, the vast ministry of this man would have been prevented. Countless souls were in the balance in that battle for Ravi's heart, and God won. Satan wanted to kill Ravi Zacharias, but Satan is not all powerful. Satan is not sovereign. Satan is on a tether. Satan is defeated. Satan wanted to kill Rabbi Zechariah, but Satan is a defeated foe. That's who our enemy is, defeated. On a tether. And so what we're saying in this message is that it takes a proper knowledge of Satan that will prompt a proper prayer life. And so in closing... Let me take us very quickly to the armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking on the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit, and with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. The bottom line of the armor once it's been given is to pray. Pray it on, keep it on, pray it on, and pray for others. What is this? Very quickly, what is the armor of God? Verse 10 tells us our strength to stand against Satan is not our own strength. It's God's strength which is available to us. After verse 11, you can see that the armor is not automatically on us. The whole armor is needed, not a part. It's not a pick and choose, suiting up kind of a thing. The objective in putting on the full armor of God is not to charge Satan, but to stand against him. The devil has specific schemes. He is a personality, a fallen angel. He is methodical. He is organized, and he is diabolical. And our fight against him is a fight which is hand-to-hand. It is a spiritual fight. It is largely an invisible fight, and it's often a fight that is fought in our minds. And we must suit up for ourselves. No one will put the armor of God on you tomorrow morning. You must put it on yourself. The whole armor is needed, as I said. And standing firm, holding the ground which Jesus Christ has won is the objective. We are not to charge Satan. We are to stand in the armor, which is all frontal. We're to stand in the victories won by Jesus already. And then the pieces of armor, very quickly, the girdle is living truthfully. Satan is not truthful. So when you tomorrow live truthfully, you have on the girdle of the armor of God. Everything you say is truth. The second piece of the armor is the chest protection. That is living righteously. Living in a way that pleases God at all turns in a day. The footwear of the armor is living evangelistically. Seeing opportunities to share our faith and to invite people to trust Jesus to be their savior. The shield is living dependently or prayerfully. Shields back then were large, two and a half feet by four feet. A soldier would get behind his shield and be covered and protected. And these shields were made of a frame that had stretched animal skins that were dampened by water over the frames. And when these drenched animal skins took an arrow, the wetness of those animal skins extinguished the burning arrow that was shot toward the soldier. And so living dependently on the Lord will put out Satan's threat shots at you. That's living prayerfully. Living dependently is living prayerfully. Standing and crouching behind the shield of faith is living prayerfully. In fact is, if I'm praying, I'm living dependently. And if I'm not praying, I'm not living dependently, no matter what I think. It's that simple. If you are living dependently, you're praying. That's how it is. We go back. The helmet is living assuredly. So much of the battle that Satan has with us is over our gray matter, over our brains, over our thoughts, over our minds. And what he would love to do is to persuade us that we've fallen out of grace and lost our salvation. He would like to persuade us that maybe we're never saved. He wants to rob the assurance that Scripture gives us of salvation when we trust Jesus and only Jesus. And he wants to do a battle between your ears. And so the helmet of salvation is putting on daily the protection to know the assurance of the Word of God that I am saved, I am bought with the blood of Christ, I am secure. No one and no thing can get me out of Jesus Christ's nail cursed, nail pierced hand grip and the Father's grip. John 10. The sword of the Spirit is the last aspect of the armor of God. There are different words in the Greek for swords in the New Testament. One's a dagger, one's a middle-sized sword, that's what's here, and one is a large sword that was used for beheading executions. This word used for sword of the Spirit here in Ephesians 6 is the medium-length sword, which was suited very nicely for defensive uh, fighting, but also for uh, offensive moves. And the, the sword of the Spirit means that we are to live biblically, We are to live in obedience to the Bible. We are to live uh, taught by the Bible. We are to live guided by the Bible. We are to live by the Bible, unapologetically. And so... We have seen that Satan is defeated, that the power that defeated him is in us, that Satan's on a tether, therefore we have to beware of him, we need to be alert to him, we need to give no place to him, we need to give no advantage to him, we need to flee from him, resist him, we need to make every thought captive to Christ, we need to pray for strength, and we need to put on the full armor of God. Proper knowledge of Satan (laughs) leads to a proper prayer life. And prayer, whereas there is a place for oxygen mask praying, that is not to be what characterizes your praying. What characterizes your praying is what you do in the cabin of the aircraft all the flight breathing, breathing the air. Let's be a church family. That knows how to use prayer as an emergency response, as an oxygen mask, but let's cultivate habits and disciplines and involvements and sacrifices so that we will also see prayer as breathing air. The only way this church will advance is on her knees.